0: Uh, should we do, uh, this is reconceived at the same time huh. or is that, is that too much?
1: That's, that's a good question. Um, do you remember who said, did we do it at the same time for the, the episode that introduced this new topic, This this new format? I, I think it, I think we did. All right. Then we should, I guess, continue that
0: gimmick. We don't have to. We can do whatever the hey we want. This is our show. That's true. Hmm. This is reconceived with Ben and Joel. I stole the intro. I'm Joel. And I'm Ben. I feel bad, actually. Do you want to do? Do you want to do one?
1: No, I think you did an excellent job there. Oh, okay. Thank we can just, you. If you're Thank feeling you. bad about it, you can just let me do the outro. Yeah.
0: All right, you know what? I like that. I like that. Do you know what I also like? What else do you like? This communication that's happening. I'm saying one thing, you're saying another. We're able to communicate like human beings.
1: Are you are you saying that sending letters is not human communication, Joel? I, well, I okay, like... I guess I guess that
0: is. But what I'm saying is we we're responding to one another. It, it's 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 a more traditional version of the show. We're back. We made it to synchronous conversation we have made it i i know it's very very exciting uh this is the end uh, of this this first experiment of ours of of uh the the shortened reconceived and Indeed. i think uh, honestly i don't know how it was f- as a listening experience per se but as a
1: podcast creator it was a lot of fun for me likewise i certainly I appreciated the amount of creativity that re- it required to come up mm. with not only seven minutes worth of content, but both of us had very different ideas of how we could use that singular voice, do something interesting to do something creative, whether that was incorporate music or whether that was have an interview with someone else like we We had to i think think more outside the box, and that's something that I mm. really enjoyed,
0: yeah. I think we we at some point off mic should have a conversation about like what is next. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, right now, I feel like let's discuss what um, you know what we've been talking
1: about this entire time, Ben. Uh, what is piano? Piano is like the the, the soft, the quiet one. So it goes like piano and then mezzo forte, which means like kind of a little bit loud. And then forte, which means loud. Okay. Ha ha ha! You got me. <laughs>
0: I've I've been bamboozled.
1: That actually that actually does lead into something that is. It, it's not unusual about piano, because we're so used hmm. to it now, and other instruments have the same ability. But it was unusual at the time that it was created. I think the full name of the piano was actually the piano forte, meaning really. That it had the ability to play both very softly and very loudly. Huh. You could play minuscule, tiny notes, and you could play grand monstrous chords, which wasn't true of other instruments like yeah. you know the organ or the harpsichord or something like that. Mm. You basically only have one volume on those. Yeah. But with the piano, there's a lot of this dynamic range that's able that you're able to create just in the volume of the notes.
0: Hmm.
1: I think that's really interesting because like, I
0: I remember the the week that you talked about, um, I think it was one of the latter weeks where you talked about that's what makes the piano so different is the volume that you can play. That's what gives it the personality. That's what gives it its richness is being able to hear how loud or how soft or how quickly or how slow Mm -hmm.
1: those notes are played right and that 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 does go to the i I think i called it something like the metadata of the piano Mm. there are all these tiny little interpretive moves that a pianist can do with a piece to make it their own to say this is I'm going to play this piece at this speed because I think this is the correct speed at which this piece should be played, and I'll play it with this little trill performed in this way, and this is how I'm going to use the sustain pedal. Just all these tiny little decisions that add up to make these straightforward notes on a page personal and Mm. impactful.
0: Yeah. And, like, that goes for... um... That that goes for several other instruments as well. Instruments like the cello can can do that as well. I, I just recently listened to an old episode of Song Exploder, which is an amazing podcast. Um, but in that episode, they interview Yo-Yo Ma, the famous cellist player, Ooh. and he they they compared and contrast the very first time he played a song in the in the most recent recording and he really dug into that It was just like in the original recording i did not pause long enough because i was trying to get through the piece now i revel in that i revel in that silence because that is what adds the texture
1: That's a really interesting way to put it, the care and the finesse. Mm. And I heard a, a new definition of poetry today. Oh. Uh, which is kind of funny considering the one of the episodes that I, one of the letters that I wrote you or one of the episodes that I had was about poetry, sort of thinking about the link between music and words. Mm. And the, defi- the definition was something like, poetry is language that you can't ignore. Hmm. And just adding on top of the other definitions, you know, poetry is dancing, whereas normal prose is walking and that sort of thing. Mm. I would yeah. then turn that question in, of what excellence looks like in piano playing, which isn't just you know, playing the notes on a page, to what excellence looks like in writing. What, how mm. would you say that your views on writing have shifted, perhaps, over the course of your time in the Writing Center and... And then perhaps if they have shifted over the course of the letters you've written me, how that's played out as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I think the biggest lesson that I have learned while at the writing center is the fact that good writing is in a sense universal. And, What I mean by that is like, when I first came to the writing center, I was, I, I was petrified. I was so scared because, you know, you have, Lander is known for their medical department. And so I was expecting like senior nurses to come in with super scientific articles that they had written that I had to try to figure out and grasp and try to like understand what it was saying. Perfectly in order to help them write better. Like I didn't feel like I was qualified if that makes sense, but as I started to work more and more I realized that I Didn't have to know All of the language. I just had to understand what was the context and that came through conversation again writing is just communication and so the best way to teach writing is through forms of communication and a dialogue back and forth. They weren't coming to me to find out what, every, what was wrong with every little part of their, uh, of their work. Instead, they were coming so that we could have a conversation, so that they could learn, so that they could figure out what needed improvement in their work. People learn from that.
1: So from what I'm what I'm gathering from that is that through these particular interactions with people you've learned both the importance of recognizing the audience to which you're writing and the importance of good dialogue and conversation in improving that honing of a message to an audience. Yes, absolutely because
0: Like I said at the at the end of our series, writing is supposed to be communication and Mm -hmm. communication in order to work has to be two ways. When you put a essay out of the context of I'm getting a grade for this Mm -hmm. and you put it into the context of we are I'm having a dialogue about this, that good writing starts to naturally occur. Because they're writing with a, another person in mind. And so that's what the writing center is. It's not; it's less of a writing center, more of a communication center. Learning how to communicate well, both dialogue face-to-face and also through the text to simulate that face-to-face experience perfectly on a piece of paper. Hmm.
1: I like the way that you uh, emphasize the importance of communication in the writing center. And now I want to sort of turn that inward and ask you, Uh, Again, there's no specific answer that I'm looking for here. When you were writing or thinking about your half of this podcast in this last bit of the experiment, who were you writing for?
0: Hmm.
1: How did you factor in the importance of um, communication and keeping your audience in mind as it pertained to your podcast episodes?
0: I think in a way... I was writing to my past self, hmm. if that makes
1: sense. It does. Because,
0: yes. because especially in that first episode, that was all stuff that I wanted, that, that I wish, in hindsight, that I wish I knew coming into college. And in turn, that's what I hope that people coming into college in general understand about the Writing Center. But that was fueled by the inspiration of, I, I wish that I had a better understanding of this. And then with the episode where I interviewed Dr. Barnett, the reason why that interview was so important was because my, few, my past self had caught up to me, and I didn't have an answer. And so I wanted to go out and research, and those voiceover bits where I, I'm back at my own microphone those are the the parts that i get to talk to my past self again now that i had gathered that information and and got those ideas i could go and i could talk and communicate to my past self again which in my mind kind of represents everyone else that it, that that's listening to that podcast that has those questions hmm
1: your past self I'm, I'm sorry i'm just i'm marinating over that and thinking over what that means it's very interesting
0: yeah i uh, i as you 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 marinate that obviously if you want to to spend more time dwelling on that we, we absolutely can but i i'm very curious because at the very beginning of the series you said that you had just recently uh started to to pick up piano again which is wonderful. I I don't know whether or not you've had the consistent availability to be able to continue that, but as you have done this series, how has your perception changed as you've played? Or maybe it was reverse, where as you started to learn how to play, your perception changed. How has that reconceived experience
1: been for you? That's a really good question. And I have, by the grace of God, had continued access to a piano so I can still practice. So that has not been a concern. Hmm. And in terms of how that has shaped what I think about piano, I think one thing that I've definitely noticed is the importance of the building blocks in making something of a larger whole. And I'll see if I can give an example in piano and show a little bit how that plays out in my own head and in my own life so quick example learning to do scales is like that that's common practice everyone knows how to do scales no one likes practicing them they're boring they're a pain so on and so forth and with scales you learn how to do you know arpeggios and all sorts of chords and stuff if you're practicing them correctly well i've noticed that the more i practice scales and i'm sure this is widespread across people who play piano the more my hands get familiar with how far apart the keys are and what makes a third and what makes a fourth and what makes a fifth and what makes something major and minor so that when I encounter those things in a song, they're not new to me. I don't say, okay, that's going from that note to that note and I just have to remember those notes and then it goes back down to that note and then I can see, okay, this is the pattern that it's following according to the things that I've already practiced, whether that's switching keys or it's doing different things with arpeggios, or I can say, oh, that's that scale, that's that bit of knowledge that I've practiced. Similarly, one of the things that I think is helpful about conversations and about reading and about writing and about everything else we do in life is that, at least me personally, I tend to categorize things. And if I stick to my own head, my own categories of things are too straightforward, simplistic, and stupid most of the time and so things like conversations which are essentially practicing with another person the process of reorienting your thoughts like you edge just a little bit slightly closer to the truth and that practice even though in any given conversation you may not change your mind all that much and you only may move a little bit that can give you new categories in which to think and that practice helps stick you in the right direction that you wouldn't have been able to go on your own
0: That, that that's a, a really really good point I think that's true for, for a lot of things that idea that if you are practicing something one way the more that you put into practice, the more your brain wants to continue that way and the harder it is to change that. That's why it's important to play different piano pieces that are in different keys because you don't want to get to the point where you are unable to grow anymore because you have so worn out the, the, the ways that you um, that, that you operate now that's not to say that you know you you <laughs> need to like pick up a new instrument and, and learn how to use microtones <laughs> right but I just acknowledging that they are there and acknowledging that that is how other people operate mm-hmm. and I think, For for me, that is where the center point of this whole discussion comes to. That is where writing and music align. In both pieces of art, you... Are communicating hmm. and that is the most important thing with writing it's communicating what is important about any given topic in a concise manner that is most applicable to your audience hmm. with music it, it, it communicates emotions it communicates feelings you could probably expand on, on, on that point more but You know, there's reasons why we call different parts of a song different things. Why we have movements in classical Mm -hmm. pieces. Because even if it does not have any lyrics, any words attached to it, it still tells a story that we can understand and that we can track from one beat to another, just like pages on a book. And I, I, I think that what we need to understand about both mediums is that there isn't just one way I hate it when professors say that you have to have a five paragraph essay one you know one as an introduction three meaning your three points that for some reason you have to have and then five a conclusion like that is so limiting and like destructive to what writing is able to do at the same time, when we just use a piano, like th- there's nothing wrong with that style of writing and there's nothing wrong with the piano mm-hmm. because both are forms of their mediums. What- what's troubling is when you limit that medium to that one structure. And what's important in both forms is active communication, both sharing ideas through those mediums for others to experience, and experiencing new ways to to consume those mediums as well.
1: Mm. And so, on that note of synthesis, note, ha ha ha, ha. <laughs> I want to press you a little bit because I remember listening to your episode about microtones and thinking that you talked very well about the musical aspect of it. But Mm -hmm. in researching and in writing and in recording that episode, what did microtones teach you about writing? I'm curious. What did
0: microtones teach me about writing? Um... Huh.
1: While you're thinking about that, because it's kind of unfair to just spring that on you off the cuff, I'm going to tell you what I think... Poetry taught me about yeah. music.
0: Okay, yeah, because I was I I was gonna ask you that next question because I think that that's very interesting. Those two ideas seem so linked to me because so much of lyrics and music are poetry, or at the very least, are poetic.
1: There certainly is the connection, the obvious connection that you can sing words. So I'm not going to touch on that because I, everyone has an un- intuitive understanding. Poetry and music are intrinsically connected. I was interested in the letter that I wrote to you about the differences. Where do they differ? And one of the things was that you know they stimulate different parts of the brain. They also sim- stimulate similar parts of the brain. I don't remember if I mentioned that. So mm-hmm. it's not as though they're completely separate. And there is a lot of overlap, but I wanted to focus more on the differences. Mm-hmm. In terms of the similarities, there is a type of classical work called a symphonic poem, which is essentially, I want you to have exactly this image in your head when you're listening to this song. Mm. That's the minority of classical works. Most of them don't fall into that category. Most piano songs, well, most piano songs probably are classical works, but the more time goes on, the less true that will be. There are lots of varying genres, and even in genres that aren't typically piano songs a lot of transcriptions have been made so you can play a lot of rock songs on piano and it sounds weird but it's still the general sound and so i think one of the things that i learned from poetry that had been sort of a floaty idea but was crystallized as i thought about that for the episode was poetry is intentionally imprecise
0: what do you mean by that
1: i mean that it doesn't get across exactly what it means you can't in, I suppose in other words you don't get the same meaning in a poem if you take synonyms for each word. There's something about the the ambiguity of language and T.S. Eliot in one of his works I think summarizes it very well and I don't have the exact quote in front of me but he says something like that as soon as you can crystallize your, as soon as you can word exactly how you're thinking and how you're feeling as soon as you have it pinned down it moves somewhere else so good poetry that lasts is able to say something in a non-literal way so that there is something more than the actual words themselves the words Mm. contribute to more than the sum of their parts and that does not mean that there are there's no such thing as a bad poem that doesn't that doesn't mean that there isn't truth and meaning contained in a poem but it does mean that there is something beyond the written words on the page that we have to bring to a poem, a cultural understanding, a nuance of language, a history of feelings and of stories in our minds that poem can trigger and use just a few words to make you recall either things that you agree with in the poem, things that you disagree with, things that bring you joy, things that bring you shame, but in just simple words... Oh, captain, my captain. Just those words can summon an image in your head, and it'll be a different image for each person. And that doesn't mean that there isn't an idea being expressed there, but it does mean that it's sort of an imprecise one. And I think similarly, in works of music and in works of uh, piano music, if we try to say that, on the one hand, this song has no story because everyone interprets it differently, or two, this song has an exact story that we can write into words, I think both of those things would fall into error. That there is, there are elements of conflict and resolution and theme to be found within songs. And those provide in us a direction, but they don't, they don't provide precision.
0: some good thoughts sounds very thought out (laughs) uh that that definitely all makes sense and in some ways it kind of that that kind of correlates to what i think can really be taken out of microtones and applied to writing microtones as i mentioned before it is absolutely a valid form of music and not not just to say like oh artistically it's mer it has merit because it sounds so weird no cultures have been using tones that are not based off of a 12 noted keyboard Mm -hmm. forever but the main reason why it sounds so weird why we think there's something quote-unquote wrong with it is because we are so indoctrinated in how uh, Western culture does music to the point where we think that is the only valid way to do music. And yet, despite that, there have been cultures across the world and across time that use microtonal music, music that cannot be replicated on a keyboard. Mm -hmm. And I, I... I think the correlation that you can really get here is again, music and writing, they at the end of the day, they are one and the same. It, it, which is to say that they are forms of communication. And depending on where you are and what culture you are, those standards of what communicates best are going to change the principles and their powerfulness are not going to change it's just simply the 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 culture that surrounds it and so if you see music or writing as something that is below culture something that is controlled by the culture that you're in then you lose a lot of its universal power if you say that you know anything that is not uh, a note on a perfectly tuned 12-noted keyboard if you say anything else is out of tune and bad well then you've just completely negated a lot of um, a, a lot of eastern music
1: there there's I mean, for obvious western examples you can't do trombone slides anymore
0: yeah exactly but it, it like w- when you limit music's power to 12 tones, you lose so much of what makes it powerful in the first place. In the same way, you can apply that exact same thing to writing. I think the easiest example of this and the most prevalent example of this is how the Bible is interpreted. You know, we expect this book from the Middle East from thousands of years ago to use the exact same structure of communication as we do now. We expect that culture to treat history the exact same way we do. We expect them to treat poetry the exact same way we do. We expect them to treat letters the same way we do. And the matter of the fact is that it doesn't. It was written to a culture with an audience in mind in a specific point in history. Does that make it any less amazing or any less powerful in the way it communicates? No, absolutely not. The Bible, both you and I believe full-heartedly, is the word of God. And at the very least, uh, on a secular level, it is one of the most powerful and influential books in the world because the way that it operates is not bound by culture. Instead, we need to have an understanding of what made it so powerful in its communication in the culture that it came from. Again, it goes back to that idea that we're, we're circling the same routes over and over again. And without that communication of something new, of something different, then we instantly assume that anything outside of that is wrong. But there's more to music than that. There's more to writing than that. The way that we write and the way that we create music goes beyond culture. We just have to go beyond it alongside.
1: Hmm. I don't know that I want to add anything to that. I think you did a, well, a, thank you. a good job at synthesizing the way that cultural differences impact both writing and mm-hmm. and music and how the Bible provides a helpful example to think about in relation to those things. And I think one of the things that the Bible does so well is it continually tells us that we are supposed to sing his praises. Mm. And I I love the the story in The Magician's Nephew that C.S. Lewis tells of Aslan singing this world into being, Mm. that there is something powerful about music. And so for God to command us to do that continually, I think, is uh, it's really, it's a way of him reminding us of the blessing that he's given us of music. Yeah. This has been Reconceived with Ben and Joel. Oh,
0: man.